This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Scott Cunningham and is part three of our Why Church series. Um, so earlier this year, my family and I were walking at Blackwell Forest Preserve, which is right over here in Winfield, and my son was about 20 months old. And we were walking around and he ran into the woods and started playing this game of picking up rocks and setting them on this random log which was like the best game ever for him. So he did that for a really long time. And after about 30 minutes, we had to go. So we were like, James, come on, buddy, let's go. And without even looking at us, he just went, bye-bye, Dada, bye-bye, Mama, and just kept on putting rocks in the log, which basically meant, I'm fine, y'all can leave. Like, yeah, that's cool. So as an experiment, we were like, wow, that hurts, you know. We kind of started walking away like, bye-bye, James. And he kept on going without looking at us, bye-bye, Mama, bye-bye, Dada. So we got so far away, we'd like left our 20-month-old in the woods, and we were like, okay, we have to go back and get him. And uh, that night, we were eating dinner with some friends, and we were laughing about it, because like, man, my son's ready to be raised by wolves at like 20 months old. Just having these visions of him at 16 being like, Dad, where's the keys? Bye-bye, Dada! You know, like, <laughs> peeling out of the driveway. Um, but my friend was a psychologist. And she immediately said, oh, no, that's not him being wayward or stubborn or whatever. That just means he feels safe enough to, to take risks. And then she said, that means he's securely attached. And I was like, huh? And then she went on to explain to me the theory of attachment theory in psychology. Now, just up front, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, so I apologize in advance for presenting this imperfectly if I do. And I also hope that if you're not a psychologist like me, this makes sense, okay? So here's how she explained it to me. Attachment, as it's defined, is a deep and enduring emotional bond that connects one person to another across time and space. Attachment theory is a concept that concerns the importance of attachment, as defined like that, in regards to personal development. Specifically, it makes the claim that the ability for an individual to form an emotional and physical attachment to another person gives a sense of stability and security. So the essence of this is that we as humans are made, created to bond to one another. We're meant to feel attached. This works for friends, spouses, parents, and children, teammates, whatever. And my friend explained to me that there are three main types of attachment. The first is secure attachment. This is where you are perfectly secure in someone else's devotion or love. Even if they're away, you don't worry about it. You're safe in it. You're stable in it. The second is anxious attachment. This is where we constantly question whether somebody loves us or not, or if they're going to leave all of a sudden. This is where we send that text message, and then we wait with, with a pounding heartbeat to see if they're going to respond or what they're going to respond. We've all been there. That's anxious attachment. And finally, there's resigned attachment, which is basically giving up hope where it becomes a, yeah, they don't care about me anyway. I've thrown in the towel in that relationship because I know they're not coming back. Now, if you're a human being like me, you've probably experienced all three of those on a spectrum. I have. But I don't bring this up today to do a psychology lesson because I'm not the person who should do that. 
I bring it up because I don't think there's a better way to grasp or feel what's going on in John 14. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. When Jesus began his ministry, he befriended all these disciples, and literally, for three years, they didn't leave his side. We're talking like band of brothers. We're talking they cried with him, they laughed with him, they ate breakfast with him, they loved him. But after three years, Jesus says, by the way, guys, I'm about to leave. And oh yeah, where I'm going, you can't follow me anymore. In fact, John 14, so John chapter 14 to John chapter 17, if you have a red letter Bible, is probably just like all red because it's Jesus's huge final farewell speech to his disciples. It's like his last words. And I think attachment theory is helpful thinking about this idea because Jesus's departure when he breaks this news brings up massive separation anxiety for his disciples. Him being physically gone is a problem. They'd grown attached. They were close to Jesus. They had access to him. He was right there. And then he's like, I'm peacing out. And I think if we're honest, I think that is a problem for us too. The physical absence of Jesus. I cannot be the only person in this room who's ever thought this entire Christianity thing would be way easier if I could just go to a galactic and eat banana pancakes with Jesus, ask him a few questions. What did you mean here? Can you just help me in this bit? In Jesus' absence, we can experience those different kinds of attachments to God in our relationship to God. So we can be anxiously attached to God where we wonder, is he here? Is he going to leave me? Do I actually know him? We pray like we're sending up a text message. We wait for a response with a beating heart. Is God going to respond to me? Does he care about me? We can be resigned in our attachment to God. This is kind of like waiting for Godot. God's away on business and doesn't care about us anyway, and he's never coming back. Might as well just go look for something else type of an attachment. But the beauty of this passage, why I think it is so awesome, and it has blessed me so much this week, is Jesus knows that's a problem. He knows that that's an emotional issue. Notice he doesn't rebuke the disciples for feeling that way. Instead, he speaks into it because he wants us and has made it possible for us to be securely attached to him even though he's away. That's what this is about. So this morning, I want to ask three questions of this passage, and they're in your bulletin. So grab your bulletin. If you've got a Bible, crack it open to John 14. If not, open up your bulletin, because we're going to be kind of bouncing around the bulletin today. And I actually did have the foresight that I knew what I was going to talk about soon enough, so I actually could put these questions in the bulletin, which I'm very proud of. The three questions are these. How does Jesus attach us to him while he is away? Number two, how does that attachment manifest itself? Like, what are the byproducts of that? And number three, what is our model for secure attachment? So number one, how does Jesus attach us to himself even though he is physically away? I'm going to give you the answer and then we'll unpack it. The answer is this. He gives us the spirit of adoption. He gives us the spirit of adoption. So if you've got your bulletin, go to John 14, 
It's the gospel reading there. And I'm going to start in verse 15. And I want you guys to read it with me. This is Jesus talking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is saying to his friends, don't worry, guys. I'm going to come back. And even more, in the meantime, you're not going to be orphaned. I'm not going to leave you alone. And the reason why he can say that is right there in verse 16. So look at it with me. At the request of Jesus, the Father will give them a helper, which is the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say that the Holy Spirit will be with them and in them forever. So that name for the Holy Spirit, which is translated as helper, is the Greek word paraclete. And people who are much smarter than me tell me that this word has a sense of someone who appears in another's behalf. So it's almost like a, a mediator or a representative or something like that. And it's only used four times in the New Testament as a name for the Holy Spirit, like it is here. And all four times are in this chunk of passage in John, in Jesus' goodbye speech. And each time Jesus has used that name for the Holy Spirit, paraclete, he uses it to say that the Spirit's job, his ministry to us, is helping us to continue to receive and experience Jesus in his absence in all the same ways his disciples did in his presence. Okay. That took me a long time to get that little phrase, and that's really important, so I'm going to say it again. The Holy Spirit helps us to continue to receive and experience Jesus in his absence in the same ways that his disciples could in his presence. So, for example, in this passage, the disciples are like thinking, you're the teacher. You have the words of life, and your sermons are amazing. And you've taught us so much. When you leave, what are we going to do? And Jesus, I fell asleep through like half of your sermons. You know, like during the Sermon on the Mount, I was thinking about lunch. I lost my notes. And Jesus says later on in this chapter, don't worry. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, he's going to remind you what I, what I, what I said to you. He's going to lead you into all truth. So you won't even need me to be physically here to teach you anymore. In the same way, Jesus is saying here in our passage that the Holy Spirit helps to minister to us the presence and the intimacy of Jesus himself. In short, the Holy Spirit attaches us to Jesus as if he was right there. Jesus says, because of the helper, he'll be with you and in you forever. Isn't that awesome? But it gets even better than that. Look at Jesus' choice words in verse 18. Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. He doesn't say I'll leave you friendless or rabbi-less or teacherless. He says I won't leave you as orphans. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't just make us feel close. He does something even more specific and audacious, and that is to attach us to the Father 
as daughters and sons. You see, another name for the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. So, I told you I was going to run you around the bulletin with me. Go to Romans 8, which was our first passage. So it should be the the first text in your bulletin, and we're going to read verses 15 and 16 together. Everybody there? It says this in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And I might add there, you didn't receive the spirit of separation anxiety. You did not receive a resigned attachment to God through the Spirit. And Paul goes on, But you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, listen to this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So I was thinking about just attachments in this stuff this week. I was thinking about how so many relationships come and go. You have some attachments that are there for a long time, but others leave, you know? So you, you graduate from the school, um, you change jobs, and you're at that like last dinner party or going away party, whatever, and you're with your friend, and they're like, dude, we're going to stay in touch forever. You know, like, what is your phone? Phone number. And then you leave, and you're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to see that dude again. That's just like the way it goes. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just life, right? People come in and out of your life. Some are stronger than others. But none of that is the case with my dad. It's not the same. Because he's not a friend. He's not a co-worker. He's my father. And none of you are my father. There's only one. And I'm his son. And he and I can do nothing to make that any more or less true right? No matter how much I talk to my dad on the phone, I have this primal, visceral knowledge of my sonship to him, and I'm not going to lose that. Some of us might have strange relationships with our parents, and we're going to get to that in a second. But regardless of the quality of our relationship to our parents, I think we can all agree that our attachment to our father is primally important. And that the relationship itself is inextinguishable, right? Think about Romans 8 for a second. Paul's saying the ministry of the Holy Spirit gives you that, that assurance. And there's nothing in any other philosophy or religion in the world that comes even close to this. Paul says, Abba, Father. Did you know that Jesus, no one before Jesus, ever said, Abba, Father, personally to God. He's the only one. Something else I learned this week, which is pretty cool, is that Jesus always prays and says, my Father, when he prays. He doesn't include anyone else when he says, my Father. So he never says, our. He teaches his disciples to say, our Father, amongst themselves, and that's revolutionary, and we'll get there in a second. But he never includes him. Jesus' relationship to the Father, his sonship, was unique. And that's why people are always so thrown off in the Gospels. If you ever read the, the books of the Gospels, people are always like, dude, what are you talking about? Who's your father? Why do you keep saying that? That doesn't make any sense. Nobody talks like that. And Jesus gets into these kind of like arguments with people because they don't understand why he's saying father. Jesus' relationship to God was revolutionary. He was a legitimate son. So do you realize what Paul's saying? 
He's saying that the Holy, in the Holy Spirit, we are adopted into that family. We legitimately, think about attachment theory, join that deep, enduring, inextinguishable bond with God. That's crazy. I imagine the disciples being around Jesus and hearing him pray and talk about his relationship to God this way would be like being around somebody, people you love, but you have like a mad family crush on their family. You're like, your family's so awesome. Wish I was part of that family, you know? Like, I wish I was that securely attached to my dad. How shocking it must have been for the disciples then to learn that they would be adopted right? It's like you're in. How shocking, how amazingly overwhelming must that have been to be like, I get to come into that? That's why Jesus can brazenly say, I'm going to leave, but you're not going to be an orphan. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. And that's also why he can say, which this has always blown my mind, that it's better for him to go. Before, you had to be in the same house to hear him teach, like actually You had to be walking alongside the road with Jesus if you wanted to have a conversation with him. But Jesus is saying through the Holy Spirit, not only can you be attached to him anywhere, so in Beijing, the Andes, Berlin, DeKalb, Texas, not only can you be with him anywhere, we are brought to a higher degree of attachment, a more profound, emotional, deep, enduring bond, the attachment of daughter or son. So how does Jesus securely attach us to himself? He gives us the spirit of adoption. That's number one. Number two is this. The question is, how does that attachment manifest itself? So what does that look like when we experience that? The answer is this. Love and obedience. Love and obedience. Okay, go back to John 14 in your Bible or in your bulletin. We're going to read through the rest of it. And I want you to look for the two themes or words of love or obedience when we're going through this. It's not going to be hard to find. So I'm starting in verse 20. So this is John 14, starting in verse 20. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So our secure attachment by the Holy Spirit manifests itself in love and obedience. To begin with love, we're adopted into that hurricane of familial love, which is constantly being shared between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love verse 21. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. It's just love's just shooting all over the place. Um, I thought this week about how when you read the Gospels, you can really tell, even though the disciples aren't perfect and all the people in the Gospels interacting with Jesus, but they love Jesus. You can tell they're so drawn to him. Like you see the heart of Peter. Peter just, 
He's just wooed by this person. He wants to be with him. Mary Magdalene is so drawn to Jesus. It's powerful how much Jesus attracted those people. There's a deep connection there. And for us, even though we don't get to actually sit around the campfire with Jesus, Jesus is saying through the Holy Spirit, we're ushered into that same type of affection by the Spirit. Um, when I was a kid, I would wait for my dad to get home from work so we could play catch in the front yard. So I would have my baseball glove and my baseball, and I would sit at the window. And when I drive home now, my son waits at the window and waits to play Fisher-Price dunk contests when I get home from work. We have matching Carhartt beanies, and they're awesome. When I wear a backwards hat, he wears a backwards hat. And I did the exact same thing with my dad, because I wanted to be like him. I liked him. I loved him. I wanted to follow him. And my son wants to do the same thing with me. That's what blossoms in our life when we live and experience the spirit of adoption. It's not cold or clinical. It's not philosophical or just like religious or mystical or whatever. It's relational. It's personal. And it's so good. But that's just one side of the coin because Jesus always, I don't know if you notice this in this passage, always grounds it and tethers love firmly to obedience. Love is a big, big word. And sometimes if it gets untethered or unmoored, it kind of floats up in the air like a huge balloon and it's kind of hard to like pin down. So when the Beatles sing, all you need is love, what does that mean? <laughs> right? Seriously, what are they talking about? When an institution or a church says, we just want to be motivated by love, that's a beautiful sentiment and statement. Uh, and they might have an understanding of that, but if you don't define it, it's just like vague abstractness. I love the Bible because the Bible always clearly defines it. And the scriptures always tether the word love to two other words. One is sacrifice, and that's another sermon. But the other one is obedience. And particularly in the books of John, so like the part that we're reading, Jesus rarely says one without the other. If you love me, obey my commandments. It's like simple. If you obey my commandments, then you love me. I mean, think about it. If someone has loved you long enough and powerfully enough to make you feel securely attached, would you not want to please them? Would you not long to do their will? I think even in that context, obedience would shift, shift from a, what do I have to do, to, man, what can I do for you? How can I respond? What do you want me to do? Just tell me where to go and I'll do it. Jesus connects the two always, love and obedience. But sometimes we want to just focus on one, and when that happens, it can be destructive. It's not flowering from the spirit of adoption. So some of us are inclined to obedience without love. And full disclosure, this is me, okay? My personality just lends itself to kind of like, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to do it. And it doesn't matter how I feel. It's just like, got to stay in the lines. I'm like, Argh. But obedience without love is slavery. Notice Romans 8 says, you haven't received a spirit of slavery. You've received a spirit of adoption. Obedience without love is slavery. Religiosity at best. 
And it's like hypocritical misery at worst. That's not Christianity. But on the other hand, some of us are inclined to just focus on love without obedience. We think the important thing is to just love Jesus, which is totally true. But sometimes we can let the definition of that, we can untether it, and it allows us to kind of prop open a back door for us to sneak past some of Jesus' commandments that we'd actually rather not like to keep. But Jesus doesn't allow either of those options, because according to him, loving him is keeping his word, right? Keeping his word is loving him. So if we let our relationship to God be defined by just one of those, it can be destructive. Love is defined by obedience in Jesus' mind. Obedience is defined and marked and just lathered over in love. Jesus attaches us to himself through the spirit of adoption, and that attachment manifests itself in love and obedience. But what is our model for how this actually should look, right? What does this actually look like? None of us have any perfect relationships because we're human. Amen? None of us have any perfect relationships because we are human. And for many of us, in particular, our relationship to our parents is strained, like I said before, and has not been stable or safe. And so in our lives of a mixture of anxious, resigned, maybe some secure attachments, who do we look to as a model for secure attachment to God? That's the third question, and the answer is this. And it's a clean Sunday school fastball answer. It's Jesus. Jesus himself is our model. Last flip in your bulletin that I want you to look with me with. On the sermon page where it says, Why Church? And there's the three questions. There's printed two verses from John chapter 8. Go there real quick. So I'm going to read John 8, verse 29. This is Jesus talking about his relationship to the Father. Starting in verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Isn't that beautiful? Do you see everything we just talked about there? Jesus is nothing if he is not securely attached to the Father. There's no shade in his mind. God's with me. The Father's, he's right there with me. And you know what? I love him. And I want to obey him. I'm, I spend my time doing things that please the Father because he hasn't left me as an orphan. Jesus became a human, and therefore he understands this dynamic that we feel. He does. He was a human. He was just like you and like me. And yet he is rock solid, iron and steel, securely attached. The Father did not leave Jesus as an orphan either, and it overflows in love and obedience. Um, I have another psychologist friend. Uh, by the way, I, I don't usually talk about psychology this much. This is like the most I've ever done anything with psychology, but I've just had a lot of conversations with psychologists recently. Um, but anyway, she was explaining to me that when we experience trauma, 
Sometimes we need what is called a corrective experience to help heal and restore damaged trust or to, to heal a deep wound. So, for example, for someone who has been really hurt by men, it often takes a corrective experience from a good man to restore that trust that men are not all oppressive. Brothers and sisters, the Father sent the Son to be a corrective experience for the whole world. If you've heard everything we've been talking about this morning and you're like, yeah, I love what you're talking about, but I've never experienced anything like that. You don't know about my attachments and my relationships. If you're thinking that this morning, that's totally okay. Welcome to the family. That's why Jesus came to be a corrective experience, an example for the life of the world. And all of this is possible because Jesus went to the cross. You see, we're not by nature children of God. The the Bible teaches that we actually were separated from God and not attached because instead of love and obedience, we disobeyed and hated God. But because of the grace of God towards us, the Father sent the Son, like I said, into the world who willingly experienced that separation in our place on the cross. Um, I mentioned before that Jesus is the only person in the Bible until he gets there who says, Abba, Father, to God. But did you also know that in every prayer, you can check me on this, I think this is true, in every prayer, Jesus prays to the Father. Every single one, except for one. Except for the time when he was on the cross, and instead of praying to the Father, he prayed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? From Psalm 22. Jesus became like us in our separation on the cross so that we might be attached the Father. Just like him, through the power of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit. That means our attachment to God is as strong as the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? That is good news. Um, I've been so encouraged by this passage this week. I've been convicted by this passage this week. Like I said, I've realized I just don't I don't think I, I think of myself through the spirit of adoption. I, I lend myself towards duty and obedience, but it's kind of like, this is what I'm supposed to do, and blah, 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 blah. And it's driven me to just ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to minister to me the spirit of adoption. And it's really blessed me. So if, like me, you're here this morning and you're thinking, I have an anxious relationship with God. I'm never quite sure if he's there, if he cares about me, or you have a resigned attachment to God. Maybe you're just like, man, I feel like God stopped caring about me in my life a long time ago. Then I would encourage you to, like me this week, ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. You can't fabricate the spirit of adoption. You can't manipulate it, but you can ask for it. Jesus specifically wants you to ask for it. And he says, of all things, God is a giver of gifts. But you know the gift he loves to give? His Holy Spirit to anybody who asks. 
ask this morning. If all this is true, and we believe it is, it means that Jesus is here right now. He's literally here. He's close. He has made it possible, and he wants us to be securely attached to him and to the Father. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.